Welcome to the Radio 191 FM podcast. Hello and welcome to the grand finale of Does, Does This, this count, count as study? study? Oh my goodness. It's finally here. Woohoo! Come so quickly. We are your hosts, Kate Pitches And Henry Holtz. And today, for our very special finale, we have our guest, Peter Dearden. Yeah, welcome. Right. Welcome. Okay. Welcome. Peter is a professor of genetics at the University of Otago, head of genomics Aotearoa, and just an all-round general character. Great person that we thought we wanted to interview, have on the show. So welcome. Thank you for agreeing to be here. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm always happy to talk. Yes. To start us off, I'd actually like to tell everyone that we've recorded this before, but we recorded over Zoom and we had some technical difficulties. So we actually, we know Peter quite well. <laughs> we've talked to him at least yes. three or four times. He's a seriously cool dude. What we'd love to know is how you came, who you are, at Otago, like what was your steps to get there? Oh, okay. I grew up in the in the back end of Wellington. My parents, uh, my my dad worked at the university in Wellington, but um, I was born in Canada accidentally because they were oh. passing through. So I, was like, I am I am Canadian, um, which is which is embarrassing. Canadian. I, try not, I try not to tell anyone that because it's a bit embarrassing. Um, but no, I grew up in Wellington, uh, and um, I went to Victoria University for my undergraduate, and then um, there were some really cool lecturers there, and I just got hooked on on trying to understand how biology works at a molecular level and and um so then i went and did a phd overseas at the um, imperial college of research science and technology which is the university of london at the time uh, and that was cool so uh, on how flies brains grow in the embryo which sounds pretty obscure Whoa. but it turns out it's the same way that your brains grow uh, and so yeah, we were studying genes that work in flies and in, in humans and then I went and did uh, worked at the University of Cambridge in the UK um, on uh, the African plague locust which is a locust and uh, then after a short stint in Canada which was awful I came back to Otago and oh, too, too long ago uh, and set up my own lab which does all kinds of things so it's been a interesting journey I, I also have kids that i think are a huge part of of who i am so i've got um three kids and a mm. and a dog uh yeah so i think i'm normal just <laughs> <laughs> being lots of places yeah the because you mainly research in the lab gmos um genetically modified organisms would you like to explain to the audience what what they are sure mm. so so i mean my my research is um is about how can we sort of use biology to, to improve things. So some of it is understanding, because actually biology is really complicated. And so um, to understand particularly how genes work and what they do, we have to break them. Uh, so we, we are interested in a particular gene. If we want to know how that works, we damage it and we say, what effect does that have on the organism? Or we might turn the gene on in the wrong place or at the wrong time. And that leads to, to changes, and those changes we can understand, and that helps us understand what the gene does so if you want to understand how genes work you need to make genetically modified organisms and we do that Mm. in containment but then i'm also interested in in wider impact so understanding things is good but we're understanding things because we want to use that knowledge to do things so Mm. um most of my work's on insects and so we want to help honeybees for example now we're not really interested in making genetically modified honeybees but you know uh, they're affected by mites and various other diseases so maybe there are ways we can uh, modify those those mites and, and other things so that they're less of a problem for bees but we also uh, have problems in New Zealand with with control of pest insects so like the common and German wasps cost us you know about 200 million dollars a year 
and uh, they're damaging, they sting people, they damage beekeeping, they really wreck our native environments. And uh, so we're trying to come up with novel ways of controlling them, and some of mm. that is is by genetically modifying them, so changing their genes in ways that might help us control them. Well, how does that kind of control them in a whole? Yeah, so the thing we're, we're interested in is, a, is, so there's lots of different pathways to do mm. genetic control. So we, we're we interested in a bunch of things. The, the, the problem is that most of the things that, that we use at the moment are chemical control, where we sp- spray or spread chemicals and that's not ideal um, particularly as the chemicals are spreading our insecticides and unsurprisingly they kill insects and insects are really important so we want to have ways of killing these things which are specific and the way that has been kind of thought of in the last few years is a, is a technology called a gene drive and um, it's a way of uh, beating evolution and genetics so if you've done any genetics you'll have heard of Gregor Mendel he was the guy who did the thing with the peas and mm-hmm. you know there are wrinkly peas and smooth peas and the problem with what, what, what he was showing was that um, bits of DNA are inherited in a particular pattern and and so you get one copy of that pattern from your mother and one copy from your father and and then you pass on a sort of rearranged version of those to your offspring so if we wanted to make a genetic modification in a wasp that caused it to be ill it would only spread to half of its offspring right because you get one copy from your mother, one copy you might get the copy that's affected and not all the copy that's unaffected, right? A gene drive is a system to beat that so that every time these wasp breeds, they pass on that genetic modification. And so that beats the genetics and it also beats evolution because in evolution you've got this thing, natural selection, where you're selecting for things which are, are good and selecting against things which are bad, right? And so if you've got a situation where some something inherits something bad, it's going to be selected against. But with the system where actually they can only pass on this this bit of genetic modification we've made, then you end up spreading through the population. So that means we could spread something which would make wasps sterile or make them unable to produce males or females through a population. And so over a period of time, that population would collapse. That's the yeah. idea. It has not been implemented anywhere outside a lab. But it's a technology that actually solves the problem. You don't, Instead of continually splaying insecticides and continually fighting against the wasps, you make them extinct in, in New Zealand, yeah, not anywhere else, hopefully. Mm. So that's, that's the kind of technology we're working towards. We're nowhere near it. We're just trying to work out, can we do this and how might that work? It's, it sounds like, oh, I, would, I would not say inhumane, but it's a lot more humane than than killing all the wasps and, I don't know, <laughs> personally killing them with... Um, sexicides and whatever you do, and um, sides. yeah, and but like we've talked about the bringing in like pest controls, and especially New Zealand has done that, like bringing in gorse. I don't know if gorse is one or rabbits or yeah, yeah. Like, as as pest control for for our environment. But um, this seems a lot more stable than um than that method. Like, what do you think when you compare both? Yeah, um, what was like. What are the differences between the two? Cool. Yeah, so, so we use biocontrol a lot. So um, biocontrol is this idea that, that if you've got something in New Zealand, because New Zealand really has a weird set of organisms uh, native, <laughs> and we've brought in a whole load of stuff. So rabbits are a good example. We've brought in rabbits. I don't know why. They've spread everywhere, you know. Now that's a pest. <laughs> and, and they're a terrible pest. And so people have brought in systems, uh, other species, which are predators of that, of that pest from elsewhere in the world. So stoats were brought to New Zealand as a way to control rabbits. And stoats have been immensely damaging to our native environment because it turns out they'd prefer to eat 
uh, native birds than, than than rabbits. We do this a lot with insects. So there is there is um, a lot of weevils which eat grass that are controlled in New Zealand by little parasitoid wasps. These things come along, they lay their eggs in the weevil, and then the egg hatches inside the weevil and kills it, and the wasp bursts out and spreads through the population. That's pretty effective. But the problem is what we've done is we've, we're just filling up New Zealand with, oh, wait, we've got this pest, let's, mm, let's find a new predator and bring it into New yeah, Zealand. Yeah, it kind of sounds like fighting fire with fire yeah. type scenario. So I think it's, it's, it's not a bad way of doing things, but you are bringing in a whole animal, you're bringing in all the, all the microbes that live in it, you, you know, you're bringing in a, a whole, you know, so most insects have about 20,000 genes. So you're bringing in 20,000 genes that you didn't have there before. Whereas when we're talking about a gene drive situation, you're modifying, you know, a couple of genes in a, in a wasp. So, you know, there are risks and benefits here, but it's, it's about, you know, balancing them properly. So a gene drive, is this essentially like modifying the pre-existing yeah, exactly. genetic component of, for example, a wasp or a a stoat, yeah. as opposed to bringing in an external yeah, exactly organism right. to perform pest control or what we. So it sounds like there's both pros and cons for bringing in um, new insects, new animals to be pest controls, and the cons and the pros. There seems to be a lot more than when you genetically modify an animal to cull it down. So I reckon you're you're thinking about this in exactly the right way, right? It's about looking at those risks and benefits and saying. What what are the risks and and what are the benefits? Because there's nothing we do which isn't doesn't come with risks. Uh, what you want to do is make sure that whatever benefits you get from whatever you're doing outweigh those risks. So I reckon you know instead of worrying about you know where are oh, they these guys are genetically modifying wasps, what we should be saying is okay what they've produced is this fit for purpose what are the risks to releasing it and what are the benefits? And if the benefits are that we're going to get rid of wasps, then that's great. Right. Mm. If the risks are low, then that's fine. But you have to actually do the research and find out what the risks and benefits are. So we, you know, that's the that's the point. We want to do the research in containment, work out, you know, actually is this, is this really a problem, and then measure those risks and benefits. Because otherwise, we're just arguing about names. Right. Biocontrol sounds more friendly than genetic modification. So mm. let's do that. It doesn't seem like a good way to make a decision. When you're in the lab, has that actually have you been able to go out into the environment and do a small area? Like test, like no. So we we have no way of doing that. One the way we've we've been trying to get um, some funding to move into those experiments, and there are some facilities that we'd like to use. So there's a thing called the Biotron up in Lincoln, which would give us the opportunity to do it on a reasonably large scale. Um, but we need funding to do that, and we haven't mm. been managed, managed to get funding to do that particular experiment. So we're working with a little wasp that actually is not a pest. Um, but has much of the same genetics as the common and German wasps. And so with the money we've got, we can do little experiments and try those in the lab. And we can actually do that across thousands, populations of thousands, because these things grow, you know, in tiny little vials. So it kind of works. But if we really want to do this, that's a real problem. What facilities yeah. are we going to do it on? And, and in the end, to measure the risks and benefits, you're going to have to do some sort of release over a reasonably like a field, large area. a field trial, yeah. test it. Yeah, yeah. and I, I don't think we're really set up to do that yet. What is your personal opinion? Do you think it will work? Oh, yeah, it'll work. Um, The the question is not will it work, it's to what degree? Because I reckon if I said to you that we're going to release 10 genetically modified wasps and in 10 years there'll be no wasps in New Zealand, you'd be much happier with that than if I said, 
every year I'm going to have to release 10,000 genetically modified wasps and the population will be knocked down 10%, yeah. right? So it's about the degree of working. That's the thing we need to work out. That's the, the benefit the side of this. In flies uh, done in containment, this thing will drive a population to extinction in about 10 generations. That's incredible. Mm. But that's in a laboratory situation and an animal we know masses about. You know, that's the ideal whether that would work in New Zealand. So, yeah. uh, so uh, friends of us have done modelling to see that, and it turns out that actually th- with wasps and a simple gene drive system, you probably have to do some other things as well. You might need to do an insecticide thing and then a gene drive, and we could drive things to extinction or at least to very low levels in a couple of years. But it's, yeah. Would you want it. to make, even if they're pests, to drive them to extinction? In New Zealand. In New Zealand. In New Zealand. I think that's the thing. Yeah. You know, we we don't have any wish to destroy the species in general. The, you know, the, in in the, their native range, the wasps are useful, friendly inhabitants of the ecosystem. Here, uh, we have the highest density of wasps in the world because there's mm. nothing to compete with them. And in our um, West Coast uh, forests in the sort of north of the South Island, so these are honeydew forests, beech forests, there are more, the weight of wasps outweighs the weight of other animals, including native birds, spiders, insects, even rats and stoats. Mm. So the, the basically we're growing trees and wasps, and that doesn't seem like an ideal situation. It sounds as well um, like in New Zealand's current political climate that there is a bit of misunderstanding or mistruth about what genetic engineering actually is, how it's perceived, and how it can be applied to solve a bunch of problems that we are perceived to have. So from your perspective as a professor who's devoted a career to genetics, what is a mistruth about GMOs and genetic engineering that you wish more people knew about? So so I think the the big problem is that people think that this is some kind of magic new thing. Uh, and in fact, you know, humans have been modifying the, the organisms we live with for our entire uh, length as, as a species so you know we in the past we've done this by uh, selecting different variants of plants for example that that are more useful or easier uh, to, to to deal with then you know the green revolution which you know saved apparently billions of people on earth could i button for two seconds yeah. i learned about this the other day i found it seriously interesting and that's how they first started to gen- genetically modify things and it was zapping it with like x-rays yeah yeah that's and, that's, and they didn't actually know what it was going to turn out like which it seems a lot less like precise uh, yeah, yeah a lot less precise yeah, so, so that's scary so that's what we do, the, the plants of the green revolution which are really important and in fact almost every uh, crop plant or um let's, let's stick with plants for now um they've been generated in exactly this way so we either zap them with x-rays or we treat them with chemicals which cause mutations throughout the genome and then you grow up lots of them and you select the ones that you like Okay, mm. so that's perfectly le- legal and acceptable, and effectively uncontrolled. So when you mm. go to the garden centre and you have, buy a new variety of I don't know, I'm not into plants, pansies or whatever, and they're a weird colour, that's a mutation. Somebody's made that mutation. They've just made it in a random way. So they've just They're, kind of yeah. thrown everything at it and picked the one that they like. So as we get more knowledge about how genes work. Um, we want to sort of stop doing that scattergun approach. And that's what genetic modification can do these days. Instead of saying, let's just mutate everything in the genome and find the gene that we care about, we can say, let's focus on this particular gene. 
And that's the crucial difference. So genetic modification isn't really uh, a completely new way of doing something with biology. It's a more precise way of targeting the things we already do. Mm. And I think that's that's the crucial misunderstanding. Is, is it, it, it's really easy to sort of think, oh, this is um, what what do we get? You know, this, you're playing God. You're well, you know, if this is playing God, we've been doing that for a long we've time. We've already been playing God, but in a less precise way. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. the two sides of the thing. Yeah. What? Yeah. Why do you think people are scared of it then? Like, what leads people to that? <laughs> oh yeah. So. Um, it's really. I think that's a really interesting question. Uh, I blame um, a lot of this. I think is to do with the first uh, movies of Frankenstein, right? So if you, I don't know if you've read Frankenstein. Uh, Frankenstein. Mary Shelley. I'm familiar Frankenstein. with it. Yeah. yeah you, you, if you read the book, it's about this. This guy makes this human, and then the human that he's made basically turns bad because his creator can't love him, right? But when it was transferred to the to films, it was because they put the wrong brain in, right? Mm. And so with all these films, it's this kind of thing, oh, you're messing with God, and that that's the messing with God that has left you with this bad situation. Whereas, in fact, the actual story is he couldn't love it, and, and it's the lack of love, something you know, which you can see in kind of almost any human story. So I think that those stories have, have then become things like Jurassic Park, where you know, it, the baddie is the geneticist who splices stuff together unknowingly and suddenly you've got dinosaurs that can breed <laughs> when they shouldn't be. Or, you know, or even in things like Gattaca where you've got films which sort of use genetics as a way to control society. So I don't believe, and, and you know, please, uh, uh, dear listener, write in and tell me that I'm wrong. I don't believe there is any film in the world where a geneticist is a good guy. So I think we've been liberally smeared by uh, films, <laughs> the film industry culture. and popular culture <laughs> as being the bad end of science. And I find it really interesting because, like, I, I reckon the thing that has changed the world most during my lifetime is the mobile phone, right? This thing turns up and suddenly, because it does a whole bunch of things that, you know, you used to have to have a, a camera and whatever and, a, mm. you know. And, Calculator. You know, you, you, yeah. If you wanted all those songs, you'd need your record collection in the back of the car and all that kind of stuff. All of that has changed all kinds of things, both for good and for bad. And there's never been a question. Nobody's ever said, oh, you know, we don't like this physics. We don't like oh, you guys using electricity around here. That, that's terrible. Semiconductors are bad. So it's funny that biology and genetics in particular has this, this view that technologies in that space are somehow... A subject to, like, an evil purpose or nefarious. Exactly. Or, that, that, I, yeah. yeah. I'm hearing what you're saying. Like, it is it genuinely is, like, a tool that can be utilised for a specific purpose, like your phone, like you could, I don't know, send and being text to someone, exactly. that, you know, that's not very nice, but it's ultimately a tool that you're going to use for a purpose. So yeah. having the same going for a genetic context makes a lot of sense. The, the technology isn't bad. People could be more scared of it because humans, probably their biggest fear is change. Yeah. And it always has been. Mm. Um, but when you're meddling with technology, it's not affecting any organism. We always will love like humans and animals more than we'll love metal or love like objects. Sure. And so when we meddle with um, metal, no one cares. Um, and then we meddle with humans and animals, I mean, people will obviously care more because it's a living thing. Well, sure. But, but yeah. my, my, it's, for but, the, it's for the positive. Uh, yeah. Well, I, my dog, right, is uh, not smart. Uh, huge, uh, hairy, uh, and his main occupation in life is licking people. That's what he, <laughs> what he does. And, and 
that is the result of generations of selection. But in his ancestry, somewhere deeply hidden, is a wolf, which you know would bit bite people, be aggressive, hunt things. You know, mm. he lies on the sofa in the sun, and that's the consequence of us changing their biology. So it's kind of interesting that we feel like okay, that's that's somehow taboo when we've been doing it. Mm-hmm. And and we've been doing it, and and if you think about all kinds of situations, all the cows that that are out there in the fields, the sheep, they are all selected over generations from 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 stock, and those changes are actually, you know, something that we like. So it's interesting that, and I agree with you. It's much easier to say, oh yeah, we're just going to change this metal thing. That's yeah. fine, but but I do think we have to say it, it's not the case that we haven't. That we don't live in a completely natural world. We've changed all the biology around us. And I mean, when you do change things, they actually like going to do good things with these changes. Like, and saying that, what are some like amazing things people have done or found in labs doing um, uh, GMOs? So I mean, as I said. Much of our knowledge of how um, uh, biology works, particularly genetics, have, have happened because of genetically modified organisms. So, you know, when we talk about genes involved in cancer, or we talk about you know um, uh, new ways of, of um, understanding genes that control almost any human disease or condition, or even animal disease or condition, a lot of that involves genetic modification in research. But I think also there's good examples of, of genetic modification that, that have done good things for us um, out, out there in the wild. Um, the example I think is really interesting is a, a um, thing called uh, BT cotton. So BT is a technology, um, it's a gene that comes from a bacterium, and they've put it into cotton plants, and it's an insecticide. But it only really affects particular species of moth. And cotton is affected by uh, um, the cotton bollworm, which is a moth, and is really, really damaging. And so when you're growing cotton, uh, generally you put out your cotton, and then you spray the living shit out of it with insecticides to kill this this moth. Um, but the BT ones don't need the spraying. And the benefits are um, environmental in that there are more insects living in those fields so you're not killing all the insects around and they and their human health because cotton is generally grown in in third world countries and it's grown by farmers who you know will be affected by you spraying large amounts of insecticides so they're getting less environmental impact there's less insecticides in the groundwater the, the cotton's good and so that's a really good uh, technology and and i like it particularly because we don't eat cotton so i th- think that if you're wearing cotton which i'm pretty sure you are it's probably genetically modified cotton but it's there in a way that um, uh, is better for the environment, better for the people, and and that's that's what we should be looking at. You know, what are the benefits? What was the risk? Well, actually, I don't think there, there particularly was one, right? So benefits. Yeah, that's cool. Mm. That's interesting. Is there any other main ones that kind of have inspired you, or? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I um, the 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 things that really worry me, and I, th- I guess there's something that started to worry me in the in the past few years because I, I kind of not ignored it but but climate change i think is a real is a real issue you know mm. we everything we're, if you say you know, humans don't like change well we're buggered right <laughs> climate change is going to slap us in the face and uh unless we find ways to be more efficient uh so that we have less environmental impact and get more out of it then we're going to have a real problem with shifting climate and uh, having to feed many more people on earth and i think that there are a whole load of um, technologies, uh, even ones developed in New Zealand, where you can improve the the forage quality of grass so that you're getting more grass 
more nutrition out of the grass per hectare so you can mm. put more cows on it in a smaller area and so that you end up with more efficient agriculture i think that's those sorts of things i i am also really intrigued by you know we we as a country as, as a friend of mine always used to say um we export sunlight and fresh water right and, <laughs> and we do it through cows right sunlight and make, to make grass and fresh water to make milk and that's yeah. what we export but the closer we get to exporting directly fresh water and sunlight the the more efficient our agriculture is so i think we need to be thinking about biotechnology solutions to be producing proteins from algae for example or seaweed or whatever so that the we're closer to sunlight uh, as the power source rather than having to go through a, a you know grass and a cow and a you know mm. i think algae as well there's a type of algae that cows can eat and when they yeah. eat it they produce like way less methane less methane yeah, yeah. so all of those yeah. things and and those natural solutions point you in directions too they say okay there's something here that we might be able to modify and change to be more efficient or whatever because i don't really want to see us harvesting massive amounts of algae and and ruining our fish stocks right so yeah. everything's a balance so we have to take the best from these natural solutions and and make sure that we can produce them in ways and i think to be honest that's going to require genetic modification and I do, I do agree with you on that. On the context of like the life cycle and how many life cycles it takes to like, export overseas, if you will, and things yeah. like that. Like one thing we learned from a nutritionist background is that the reason that cows and animals and stuff have a higher carbon footprint is because it takes two life cycles. Like you need to grow the food to feed the animal yeah. to export the animal. So figuring out ways to be more effective and efficient with how we are creating the product to export or to eat or to utilize for a purpose yeah. is definitely a way to go instead yeah. of like the alternative which i don't know what the alternative is, climate change <laughs> <laughs> well i mean we're going to have the climate change anyway but you know we, we need to as you say you know but we Exactly. We need to just get closer to the source of energy and, and, and we can do that. I mean, and that's the same with, you know, all our systems, right? If we reduce, if we, instead of um, using fossil fuels, we, we use sunlight and, and wind to produce electricity and drive electric cars. And that's, those are the things that, that really cut out all of those extraneous converting energy into something else and then, then burning it and producing carbon. So I do think there's, there's, there's a real role for genetic modification in there, but I think it has to be more than, kind of making plants insecticide resistant or make or um, herbicide resistant or you know it has to be solutions that actually fit what is required in mm -hmm. new zealand by new zealanders mm -hmm. definitely definitely no that's pretty Ooh. interesting um the i had a question it's, it's kind of an out there question and it's quite particular but would you be able to modify fuels and make like because you know biofuels are a thing is are you actually able to modify that and so it seems to I, I it's not an area I know much about, but but it doesn't. So basically, what you're asking is to to you need to produce some sort of hydrocarbon that you can you can burn. Um, all of those hydrocarbons in a in a plant, for example, are made by enzymes, and so um, you you might need to go and look for those enzymes in particular places and say, okay, we're going to transfer this enzyme into this plant, and it'll produce this particular hydrocarbon, or degrade this particular plastic, or whatever. So I think that's the thing. There's a lot of it's a, it's about learning from from nature and then using the best of that to 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 decrease our our impact on on nature itself. And one more, these are, these are kind of out there questions. <laughs> but because um, the 
as a human, everyone's tried to get their hands on hydrogen and hydrogen fuel as a main thing. But the only organism that can do, that can do that and actually do it successfully by splitting water um, is mm-hmm. plants. Have you ever looked at um, like photosynthesis with some so, so I haven't, but I know lots of people are working really hard. Uh, so Julian Eden Rye here in, in biochemistry yes. in, at Otago works on exactly that system, uh, trying to understand photosynthesis and trying to find ways to to improve it. And and uh, that may sound strange, but actually, uh, AgriSearch from New Zealand has developed a ryegrass uh, cultivar where they've changed the way photosynthesis works uh, to make it more efficient. And mm. that. It's, it's genetically modified. It's been developed. You can see the benefits. We can't grow it in New Zealand. Yeah, we're, we're doing that at the moment. I'm part of like the heading ryegrass yeah. project. Changing Sad that we can't do all this in New Zealand. We can't go underway. Well, I, I think it's sad. I mean, I, I'm not saying it should be a free for all, but I think we should be really thinking about risks and benefits. Be monitored. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, providing, Frankenstein's. Yeah, I providing know. people with the agency. I think like professors, lecturers, academics, scientists, with the agency to create a product and to work with the tools that we have now, instead of kind of going, no, we can't do that. Yeah. We can't do that without. Like we've been saying, reiterating, like assessing the pros and the cons and coming to a more logical It needs decision. to be a more knowledgeable technology. It needs to be more like a phone or like everyone knows what a phone <laughs> is or a computer. But no one, like if you go yeah. up to a random person on the street and you ask them about GMOs, they won't. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah. And, and that's, I think that's exactly the, the problem. And, and, and I appreciate that. It's not, it's not, it's really not understandable that people are nervous about a technology that changes biology. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. And I also appreciate that, that, um, you know, it's very difficult to explain to somebody. You know, here's a really complex piece of biology, and and do you like it or not? You know, that's not really the conversation. But I think if you're actually, it's always the case that when you go to people and say, okay, what problems do you have? You know, how can we help you solve them? And mm. and here is this solution involves genetic modification. That's a much much better and and more empowering conversation. You know, yeah. I think that's the thing. We focus so much on how we do this and not enough on what it's for and, and, what it and whether do. it's going to be uh, helpful. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. No, well, thank it. you so much, Peter, for taking the time out of your day, coming and talking to us, sharing your wisdom, sharing yeah. all this stuff. It's been, it's been so much fun. I absolutely love the subject. It's not a subject I obviously knew about. I was one of the people on the street who didn't know about GMOs, but I really enjoyed learning about it with you. And Yeah. Thank cool. you for coming. Uh, yeah. Delighted to be here. And it Thank was, you uh, for cool conversation. Yeah. Yes. Uh, May I have one more weird question. I'm just that is coming to my head. A final. <laughs> over and over. Final again. shot. Yeah. Oh. Um, when I said Frankenstein before, it kind of made me think: Is there going to be future of genetically modifying humans? Oh yeah. That's a that's a really <laughs> oh, interesting. Oh, I just yeah. <laughs> drop that in there. So, Goodbye. So let's 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 be clear: There are genetically modified humans walking around New Zealand currently. Is that in China they did that? The so, okay. so, so we've got to separate these things yeah. Yeah. Uh, out. So um, there's a bunch of technologies that have been invented to uh, help people with particular leukemia. So uh, CAR-T cell therapy, what what you do is somebody's got leukemia, as you go and you, um, uh, you extract all the bone marrow cells from that person and then you genetically modify those cells to make antibodies against their cancer. And then you insert those genetically modified cells back into uh, the bone marrow and they populate the bone marrow and that is a really effective way of attacking a cancer. There are people in New Zealand who are carrying genetically modified cells in their bone marrow. So we use this technology in a medical sense. 
in uh, in the past few years, um, people have made genetically modified humans. The 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 again, this is this is not an edifying um, discussion, but this is the, the guys done this in China, and what they've done is they've genetically modified the germline cells so that the the those individuals will pass on that genetic modification to their offspring. So that's not the case with CAR T cell cell therapy there it sits in their bone marrow it's never passed on to their offspring but this genetic modification of the germline has been done it's been done in china to produce a pair of individuals who are, have a mutation in a gene that mutation in other individuals seems to give protection against hiv infection the experiment was not well done i think the the scientist is in prison yeah uh it's not it's not a really um good experiment that's part of the problem is that you know you've got uh, a situation where you know you've got scientists who want to push the technology and you've got regulators who aren't keen and it's all a bit of a mess and then somebody does something stupid uh, and I, you know that's that was dumb it is a really dumb experiment but um mm. yeah it's dumb but i mean like when we know more about it it could be the future it of- could it could be a useful technology and yeah. i guess that's the way they've, they've blazed a trail just to allow you to say okay well so this is possible um, so we can. They just make, jump the gun a little bit. They jump the gun a little bit. Know, there's a whole load. There's of a lot more. I think <laughs> yeah. we can't minimize but, um, the ethicals on that one. But also, I think um, genetically modified humans. You've got to ask the question: Why would you do it? Right. So, if you've got a disease in your family, like a genetic disease in your family, then um, and we can identify that disease. And with genome sequencing, that's becoming easier and easier. If we can identify the gene or genes involved, then you could say, "Oh, well, let's modify those genes so that." the next generation don't get that disease and it's never passed on again. But you could equally say, well, okay, we'll screen embryos uh, and pick those embryos which don't carry the defective gene, which we can do at the moment, uh, and we do do at the moment. So that kind of genetic pre-implantation genetic diagnosis gives you the opportunity to do almost the same thing that you will be it's doing with It's more specific to each person, though. It is, yeah. yeah. So so it's, it's, a, it's, it's not clear to me at this point whether that um, genetic modification in that sense is is worth it but and this is a cool thing that came out earlier this year there's a um a liver disease i've forgotten what the disease is called but uh it causes problems with blood clotting usual painful death of individuals in in about in their teenage years so people have developed a gene editing technology which is injected and uh, targets those cells which are producing the protein destroys the gene which is causing the issue and uh the in the this was published earlier this year and something like 10 individuals and in all 10 that they treated they have remission of the disease and these guys are healthy now that is a fantastically sensible and and useful technology right Mm. so that means that you don't actually have to edit the germline you can actually go in there and edit the very cells that are causing the problem the more we know about biology the more we're going to do that kind of precise sort of almost like the future of healthcare (laughs) I think it is yes. actually. I think that, that that demonstrated that actually, you know, even you know, it's about oh, I've got some cells doing the wrong thing, or cancer. If we can target those cells with the, with the CRISPR, They're right to the, the target, thing, yeah. Mm. So like the that. more we know, the more we can do that precise work. Yeah, so exactly. I, I dropped that bomb out. No, that question. <laughs> no worries. Oh, it's, a, like, it's a really cool question. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much, and a big thank you and appreciation for all of our listeners because this is our last episode. It's our last episode. Yeah. Woohoo! Thank you, everyone, for coming on the ride. Yeah. It's been a wild, wonderful year. It has. It's been a really awesome journey, and we hope that you've learned something along the way or got a bit curious or just thought about perhaps university and how to engage with information around you in a different way. 
because we've done that and we've really loved this whole process. Yeah. It's a lot more fun getting to know people, especially electors. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we, we're we're not we're not completely weird. Yeah. <laughs> Reach out to our Instagram if you have any other comments, feedback, suggestions. And a huge thank you um, to Radio One. They've supported us the whole way. They've supplied yes. the facilities for all of us, and they've um, obviously supported shared us. It along. Yeah, everywhere. So big thanks to them and Sean, our editor, edited this season. Big ups to him. He's he's a really cool dude. Um, Absolutely. Yes, and to our university family, thank you so much for supporting it, sharing it, having faith in what we were doing. <laughs> We've been stumbling around a bit at times, but it's really cool to have created this and be able to share it out with everybody. Yeah. One last yes. thing to Peter. We're done. Yes. Very cool. We're done. Yeah, that's us. This was a Radio 191 FM podcast. All of our content lives online at r1.co.nz.